Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Ah, yes. Today we begin our Fall Renewal Series. We're going to begin our Fall Renewal Series. What is the Fall Renewal Series? If you are not aware, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happens. So we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about one book. We're going to focus on the book, Spiritual Economics by Eric Butterworth. This is one of the best books on new thought that has ever been written. It is one of the best books about putting these principles into practice that has ever been written. And uh, I was talking to somebody before the um, service today, talking about how this is the book that, you know, the binding is broken, and it was the book that I first used when I initially came to this study and uh, read it almost 20 years ago. And it's got, you know, highlights and notes and everything inside it. And I'm grateful because this book, whenever I return to it, I think, oh my gosh, there's so much that is brand new in reading it again. And that's the power of going back to books that you think you know, is that you're always going to find something new. So, as I said earlier, I have a little bit of a challenge coming, having come back from my spiritual retreat and being, having so much fullness from the experience that I had on the island of Kauai that, um, you know, I'm really wanting to share some of that, and, and I have, and yet we're going to do the Fall Renewal series, and we're going to talk about Eric Butterworth. <laughs> the thing is, when we seek it, we find alignment in everything, and it actually, of course it happened. I found alignment in one of the lessons that I learned while I was on Kauai, and it's going to come up a little bit later in relationship to spiritual economics, and I am so grateful for that. So, I'm going to start off, though, today with this idea that he references, uh, Eric Butterworth references Charles Fillmore in the book. And the idea that we start off with today is that we establish ourselves in the consciousness of God. When we do this, when we establish ourselves in the consciousness of God, that's the work. When we establish ourselves in the consciousness of God, the whole universe moves to flow into us with its abundance, of life and substance. Doesn't that feel good? When. Note that he starts off by saying, when we do this, because we sure put up a lot of blocks all the time. I do it. I still do it. I'm pretty good at this stuff. I've been doing it for a long time. I still do it sometimes. But the good news is I catch myself more quickly and I get myself back on track more quickly. That's the power of making it practical, making the practice a part of your life. We are not meant to be poor. We are not meant to be weak. We are not meant to be unhappy. We are not meant to be sick. These are aberrations. These are aberrations. And yet so many people are living their lives in this way. Who we are right at the core of each and every one of us is the whole universe at the level of our expression of it. And as we broaden our perspective, as we broaden our mind, as we broaden our beliefs, we broaden our experience and we can leave behind the poor, the sick, the weak, and the unhappy experiences. 
believing in those things as being necessary is what makes them necessary in our lives. Think about that. We may believe these things are necessary. I hear it all the time. Oh, you know, life is meant to be suffered through. I have to get through this to be able to be this. Those are beliefs. Those are things that we have decided upon. And so we accept those negative experiences because we think that there's some value or virtue in going through them to grow through them and end up on the other side. And while that may be so, if it is so for you, that's okay. But I'm going to tell you, leave that stuff behind. Ah, I can reference the song now. Come alive. Come alive. There is no necessity except the decision in our own minds that it is necessary to experience those things. Who decided that those things were meant to be in our lives? Who decided? Now, a lot of us may look and say, oh, well, when I was growing up, I understood that there was this outside God. There was this God out there, and God was judgmental. But God was giving me all the things that I had to overcome so that I could be in right judgment with God. No more of that. Because God is not out there. God is right here. Right where each and every one of us is, is this magnificent divine power and presence. There is no outside God. And if there is no outside God, then there is only one answer on who decided that these negative things are necessary in our lives. You know what the answer is? You're not going to like it. It's us. It's you. It's me. We have somehow made a decision that these things are necessary. And we may have done it. We may have done it at the level of awareness, but more than likely, we have done it below the level of awareness because we have accepted the things in our society that tell us that that's the way it should be. But ultimately, we decided it, and so we gave power to it, and so we live it. But there is power in knowing. There is power in knowing that we decided upon those things. And the power is, if we decided to live that way, then we can undecide to live that way. That's the power. We get to change our lives by changing our beliefs, by changing our thinking. That's the whole point and premise of the New Thought Movement. Accepting that this is how it has been gives us the power to move forward and say, this is how I choose now to be. So we begin with Spiritual Economics by Eric Butterworth. And we begin with his first chapter, The Truth About Substance. The substance of your life are the things you're experiencing. Now, I want to acknowledge the fact that there are people who think, oh, you should not talk about religion and money. Roberta said it last week (laughs) when she was was up here. She said, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, and you don't talk about money. Well, we're not going to talk about politics, but we are going to talk about religion, and peripherally, we're going to talk about money. Because, of course, spiritual economics talks a lot about money. Well, money is God in action. It is simply a physical form of a consciousness that we each and every one of us have. And so ultimately, when we back it up, we're only ever talking about consciousness. So let us first define prosperity. Prosperity is consciousness. 
It's about living in the current or flow of life. To live infinite prosperity in an abundant way means that you are ultimately in flow with all of life. And that may translate itself and show up in your life as money, but I guarantee you, if you are prosperous in your creative expression, if you are prosperous in your relationships with friends, family, and intimate relations, if you are prosperous in your health, then you are living a life of prosperity. So we're going to talk about currency. I said current and flow. Currency is not just money. Currency is everything we have at the core of our being that we get to be in flow with. In these six weeks, the dedication I'm asking for each and every one of us is to find ourselves ultimately in an abundant flow in every area of our life. That's living the principles of spiritual economics. Eric Butterworth offers this. Prosperity is a way of living and thinking and not just money or things. Prosperity is a way of living and thinking and not just money or things. Conversely, poverty is a way of living and thinking and not just a lack of money or things. So the question becomes, what consciousness are you living? What consciousness are you living? And when you within your own heart, answer that question, please do not go to a place of judgment if the primary consciousness right now is more on the poverty side than on the prosperous side. Because we can defeat ourselves from the get-go by living in judgment. And so let the judgment go. Say, oh, I see you. I see what's happening here. I have been living in a poverty consciousness, and you know what? That no longer has any bearing on who I am in this moment, and so I choose now to move into a prosperity consciousness. This becomes the starting point for us all, to realize where we are and accept responsibility to make the necessary changes in mind, because that's the only place that things change. Things change in mind first, and then they show up in form. We'd make the changes in mind. That is our responsibility. And I love to say, I, you know, I break it down. It's not the actual way it's broken down or the etymology of the word. But I love to say that responsibility is response-ability. My capacity to respond to what it is I have experienced thus far. To say, oh, I see you. Now I get to choose something new if I don't like what it has been. This is how we move from prosperity. No, not from prosperity consciousness. This is how we move to prosperity consciousness, from poverty consciousness. And those among you, and I I guarantee you, there are those among you who are sitting there thinking, I know all this. I have it all. I have everything I could ever want or ever need. I know that there are those among you who are saying this. They're like, why are we doing this book? I don't get it. There's always more in the infinite because the infinite has no end. And so I'm just going to invite you, if that is where you are right now, to just take a look at that and say, 
But is there more? But is there more? Is there some new way that I can live and understand and experience prosperity in my life? And the reason that I want us to question where we think we are is because it's all about consciousness. Eric Butterworth wrote, it is consciousness that sets the limits in life. If there are any limits we have been erroneously conditioned to believe in our lives, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm putting emphasis in the wrong place. It is consciousness that sets the limits in life. If there are any limits we have erroneously we have been erroneously, I think that, no, I'm looking, I'm like, did I, did I get it different up here? If there are any limits, we have been erroneously conditioned to believe that in our lives are completely shaped by, I wrote this down wrong. <laughs> it happens. I wish I put the page number. I'm going to change my consciousness. It is, but you know what, actually, the, the, the most important part of this is the very first section. It is consciousness that sets the limits of our life. If I stopped there, the rest of it doesn't matter. It is consciousness that sets the limits of our life. So if you think that you can't, you're right. Because that's your decision. If you think that you've reached the upper limit of prosperity, you're right. And yet, in the infinite, there's always more. I laugh at this. It's consciousness that sets the limit in life, too. I laugh at this because when I have taught classes and in all of the coursework I went through uh, to become a minister, there's a joke in all the classes I have taken that it doesn't matter what the question is on any exam. If you answer consciousness, you're right. <laughs> But this all brings me to the title of my talk today, the title of my message, The Tree and the Rock. Now, because of the way our projector is set up here, you may have a sort of a difficult time seeing what's happening here. So that tree is a tree that I encountered at the McBride Gardens on Kauai. And it is literally growing on that rock. Think about that. How can a tree grow on a rock? Well, no one ever told it it couldn't. That's really what it boils down to. So the McBride Gardens, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Um, you know, we could go for a spiritual retreat in Hawaii, and I've done this for seven years every single year, and there are always brand new experiences every single time I go. So I think I have seven full, easily seven full weeks of experiences. So if you're ready for a seven-week retreat in Hawaii. Um, anyway, this time we got to go to the McBride Gardens. So the McBride Gardens are on the south shore of Hawaii. Um, it's sort of an arc of tropical flora. It is the largest collection of native Hawaiian flora in existence, and they cultivate it, they keep it protected there. Um, and there was this tree. And I, the funny thing is, so I'm there with a bunch of ministers too, and this is exactly what happened. We went, oh, look at this tree, it's growing out of the rock. How amazing. Imagine four ministers going up and going, wow, look at this, it's so cool. And the reason I laugh is because we all turned to each other and we said, 
every single one of us, the title of our message this Sunday is going to be The Tree and the Rock. (laughs) So if you're connected with any of my colleagues who were with me on this journey, all of our talk titles this Sunday are The Tree and the Rock. Here's the point of the tree and the rock. The tree has never been taught that it cannot grow out of a rock, so it does not concern itself with limits, limits in mind of how it should be. It just does what it does. It has not been conditioned to be shaped by a belief in hardship. It just grows. And that's really what this is all about, growing our own prosperity consciousness and letting go of any sensibility about hardship. Now, I know a horticulturist would come up and say, well, this particular kind of tree does this, and it does this, and you see the roots are actually going down into the soil, but the bulk of the tree is on that rock. doesn't matter. It knew exactly what to do to thrive, not just survive. And many of us are walking through life just surviving. Let's let it go. The tree doesn't look to others for proof of its well-being. And how many of us do that? How many of us look to others for proof of our well-being? We go to others and be like, oh, you know, and we tell stories. We're like, oh, this is the thing that happened to me. And we get such great reinforcement of our own well-being. Well, if we actually understood our well-being from the get-go, we don't need to get the proof of it from others. We needn't look to others for proof of our well-being, so we must let go of judgment and comparison. Your fortune begins with you. That's the crux of it all. Your capacity to thrive in a prosperous way begins with you. And there is only one way to change your experience, and that is by changing your thoughts. Really what we've come to is changing your beliefs, because your thoughts are all born out of beliefs. And we have to do it free of superstition. Superstition, what does he mean by that? Superstition. We might be relying on superstition if we think that life is a game of chance. It's not chance. A directed mind creates a directed life. So let go of the idea that there is any chance in life. We're not playing the lottery to have a good life. We get to decide to just have a good life. But we oftentimes treat life as though it is a game of chance. And that is rooted in, for many of us, what, we, what I will call, um, which is a, this is a phrase that I learned in my teaching, so I, I've taken it on as a bit of jargon. Uh, it is our already established premise, our AEP. We all have AEPs. We all have premises that we have established in mind, and those show up as our life. There are those, there are those things, their core beliefs, that are unshakable until we shake them up. So have you ever heard yourself saying something like, I never get the breaks? Anyone ever say that to themselves? I never get the breaks. Or anything like that, something like that. Have you ever, if you've ever heard yourself saying something like that, that may be your premise upon which all expression and experience of life is predicated. And so if your belief is, I never get the breaks, guess what? You never get the breaks. 
The premise becomes the basis upon which your life unfolds. There are some clues into starting to uncover some of your premises. When you are out and you're having conversation with people and things, topics come up and you talk about, oh, the economy. You hear the, uh, you hear the inflection in that? The economy. The housing market. Or for some people, the housing market. <laughs> the cost of living. The cost of living. There's an energy behind the way we talk about things. And that is rooted in this established premise that becomes the expression of our life. So, if we remove from our conversations these premises that are defeating, what would be left to talk about? <laughs> Actually, what would be left to talk about? Because we love to tell people our sob stories, don't we? How quiet life would be if we stopped complaining about all the things out there. Thinking about it? Butterworth, and this is really the tie-up today, Butterworth ends the chapters in Spiritual Economics, the first two chapters by quoting Henry David Thoreau. I think I wrote this one down correctly. If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will be met with a success unexpected in common hours. That's where we begin. That's where we begin. By advancing confidently confidently in the direction of our dreams. And when we do this, we will be met with success unexpected in common hours. That's where we begin our fall renewal. Are you ready for success? All right, well, I guess nobody's ready for success. Are you ready for success? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Are you ready? Yes, are you ready? Are you ready? then let's go. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. I hinted at the homework a little bit. The homework this week. You ready? Do not complain. You may end up having a very quiet week, some of you. Do not complain about anything. Do not complain outwardly about anything. If you find yourself complaining inwardly, check yourself and stop it. If we are going to enhance the flow in our lives, we must remove the flow blockers. So let us refuse casual conversation about the state of the economy, the inflated housing market, or the high cost of living. Let us let those things go. They have no bearing on who you are. They have no bearing on the truth of your expression and experience, except to the degree that you allow that. So stopping the casual conversation about them stops the flow of the defeatist ideas in your experience. Remove I can't from your language. If you find yourself saying, I can't, turn it around and ask yourself this question, what can I do? What can I do? And then do it. Don't just talk about it. That's the homework this week.
Hi, this is Rev. Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.